Dubious Justifications Behind Request to Who to Declare Diet Drugs Essential, Part 2. This is the Weight and Healthcare Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing and or sharing at weightandhealthcare.com. In Part 1, we talked about a request that has been submitted to the World Health Organization, or WHO, to add diet drugs to their list of essential medicines. We discussed who was making this request and the justification that they were using. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into the research that they used to try to support this request, and in Part 3, we'll look at the research around harm and efficacy as well as cost-effectiveness. I was originally going to write this in two parts, but I realized that it was just ridiculously long, and there's time before the WHO meets about this, so I've decided to break it into three parts. In their summary statement of the proposal for inclusion, they say, quote, The use of GLP-1 RAs in the treatment of, quote, obesity has been well studied and meta-analyses of various GLP-1 RAs have demonstrated that this class of medications can lead to clinically significant weight loss. Compared to control groups, GLP-1 RAs were found to lead to more significant weight loss with a mean difference of approximately 7.1 kilograms, as well as an improvement in glycemic control with low concern for hypoglycemia, end quote. The single paper they cite to back this up looked at weight loss on these drugs among, quote, obese adults without type 2 diabetes, so hypoglycemia would have been unlikely anyway. It included 12 trials with a total of 11,459 participants. 80% of the participants were categorized as white, 10% as black or African Americans, and 5% as Asian. It is concerning that they are making a global recommendation based on a study population that is overwhelmingly white. There is also the issue of follow-up. Some of the trials included were as short as 14 weeks, and the longest trial included was only three years. The average weight loss was 15.6 pounds more in the group taking the drugs than in the control, but some subjects on the drug lost as little as 5.5 pounds. Those on the drugs also experienced vomiting, nausea, dyspepsia or indigestion, diarrhea, constipation, and abdominal pain as a common side effect. There is no way to know how much of this short-term weight loss is due to experiencing these common side effects. These drugs also have significant, possibly life-threatening side effects, and the short-term follow-up included here is not likely long enough to capture those. Also, remember that the recommendation is for people to take these drugs for the rest of their lives, since if they don't, their weight shoots right back up and they lose the cardiometabolic benefits. And they are making that recommendation globally on just 14 weeks to 3 years of data. The authors of this study cite no conflicts of interest. Per LinkedIn, someone with the same name as the lead author is a product specialist at Novo Nordisk, but I imagine that must be a coincidence or surely it would have been listed as a COI. The article was published in Obesity Reviews, which is an official journal of the World Quote Obesity Federation, which took over $5.3 million from Novo Nordisk, whose weight loss drugs are covered by this recommendation over three years. Their members also include the Quote Obesity Action Coalition, whose chief funder is Novo Nordisk. Their current president has taken money to speak on behalf of Novo Nordisk. And their past president is John Wilding, who was implicated in the recent Novo Nordisk scandal for not disclosing his financial ties to Novo Nordisk while praising their weight loss drugs in the media. There are more issues with this meta-analysis, but I'll stop here and say that I don't think there is any way that 14 weeks to three years of data on 11,459 people who are mostly white justifies a global recommendation of these drugs as essential. Under treatment details, requirements for diagnosis, treatment, and monitoring, here again they say, quote, obesity, a preventable disease, end quote, but offer no citation or support for this narrative that has been largely architected and marketed by the weight loss industry. They continue, quote, When used in supplement to lifestyle modifications, including a decreased in caloric intake and an increase in exercise, liraglutide is indicated for adults with, quote, obesity or, quote, overweight with a weight-related comorbidity, end quote. 
I just want to note here that this indication, which wasn't created by those who wrote the recommendation to the WHO, predicates risk on body size and simple correlation. These drugs have very unpleasant common side effects and other possibly life-threatening side effects. So the fact that those who are, quote, overweight have to have at least one condition that is correlated with being higher weight, with no proof of causation, by the way, but those who are, quote, obese are recommended to risk these side effects based on size alone with no required symptomology at all is pure weight stigma. Next is a table, excerpts from national and international guidelines on the pharmacological treatment of, quote, obesity. It is a list of organizations with quotes pulled from various publications that are intended to show support for the drugs. Almost every one of the organizations has financial ties to Novo Nordisk and or Eli Lilly, which doesn't prove that there's anything shady going on, but would be worth disclosing given their use to back up the request that these companies' drugs be considered essential. Let's take a deeper look. The American College of Cardiology, or ACC. The recommendation that is cited is actually for the use of these drugs for type 2 diabetes, and they mention weight loss as an ancillary effect. This will be a pattern in these recommendations, and it matters because the risk-benefit analysis is different for people who have an actual health condition, type 2 diabetes, rather than those who are simply living in a higher weight body. Also, one might be misled by the title of the section to believe that these recommendations are specifically for the use of the drugs in the treatment of, quote, obesity, which is not the case. The ACC has a partnership with Novo Nordisk. They have also partnered with Eli Lilly. South Asian Task Force. Again, this is a recommendation for these medicines for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, not for weight loss. The paper's lead author, Sanjay Kalra, has received honoraria for lectures and advisory boards from Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk. International Diabetes Federation. This, again, is a recommendation of these drugs for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. Novo Nordisk is a platinum partner of the International Diabetes Federation, and Eli Lilly is a gold partner. The website isn't clear about how much money this means they donate, and an email I sent has gone unanswered so far. National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, NICE. This one actually is a recommendation for these drugs for weight loss. However, NICE was implicated in the recent scandal which found that, quote, Novo Nordisk has paid millions to prominent, quote, obesity charities, NHS trusts, universities, and other bodies, as well as healthcare professionals who publicly praise the drug, typically without disclosure of their funding, and who advised NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, on their reviewing of Novo's weight loss drug to decide whether or not it should be made available, end quote. Position statement from the Brazilian Diabetes Society, the Brazilian Cardiology Society, and the Brazilian Endocrinology and Metabolism Society. This is a statement of recommendations for prevention of cardiovascular disease in people with diabetes. Here is a selection of the author's competing interests. I've only included Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly, the two main companies trying to sell this class of drugs for weight loss. ROM has received speaker honorarium from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. CMV has received honoraria as a speaker for Novo Nordisk. SV over the last five years has received honoraria for clinical research from Novo Nordisk. Advisory board to Novo Nordisk has received honoraria as a speaker from Novo Nordisk. FT has received honoraria for medical lectures from Lilly and Novo Nordisk. RDS over the last three years has received honoraria for consulting, research, and speaking activities from Eli Lilly. The Brazilian Diabetes Society has collaborated with Novo Nordisk. The Brazilian Cardiology Society holds an annual congress that is sponsored by Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. The Brazilian Endocrinology and Metabolism Society has partnered with Novo Nordisk on multiple occasions. 
Korean Society for the Study of, quote, Obesity, Guidelines for the Management of, quote, Obesity in Korea. This is not a study, but guidelines put out by an organization that appears to represent those with a financial interest in, quote, obesity treatment. Their recommendation includes every drug that is approved for long-term use, fails to cite any evidence of efficacy, short or long-term, and they mention that, quote, not all, quote, obese people respond to, quote, obesity drugs, and there are a significant number of non-responders. Novo Nordisk is a platinum sponsor for their conference. They're also a member of the World, quote, Obesity Federation, which took over $5 million from Novo Nordisk. Obesity Medical Association. Here they are citing a press release stating that the European Medicines Association, the recommendation authors appear to have been mistaken on the name, has, quote, recommended granting a marketing authorization for Saxenda, Liraglutide, for weight management in overweight or, quote, obese adults. Per the EMA's website, they are a scientific body with the expertise required to assess the benefits and risk of medicine. However, under EU law, it has no authority to actually permit marketing in the different EU countries. The role of EMA is to make a recommendation to the European Commission, which then takes a final legally binding decision on whether or not the medicine can be marketed in the EU. I could not find information about the panel that made the decision or any conflicts of interest they may have had. Australia NPS MedicineWise the citation they offer here is not to Australia MPS MedicineWise, but to a paper by a single author, Joseph Proietto, who, quote, has been on the medical advisory boards for liraglutide, semaglutide 2.4 milligrams, and bupropion naltrexone. He has been involved in educational seminars for, quote, obesity management for both Novo Nordisk, liraglutide, semaglutide, and Inova, ventramine and bupropion naltrexone, for which he has received honoraria, end quote. In other disclosures, it mentions that he was, in fact, chair of the medical advisory board for Saxenda, Novo Nordisk's brand name for liraglutide, the drug being recommended here. In the paper, he recommends all of the above drugs in general, but does not recommend the GLP-1 class of drugs over any others. The study he uses to recommend these drugs only follows participants for 68 weeks. Singapore HPB MOH Clinical Practice Guidelines in the section on liraglutide, they offer information for 56 weeks of follow-up and conclude, quote, the long-term safety of high-dose liraglutide therapy is, however, unclear, end quote. Canadian Medical Association Journal, quote, Obesity in Adults, a Clinical Practice Guideline. Funding for these guidelines was provided by, quote, Obesity Canada, an organization that lobbies for the priorities of those who profit from, quote, obesity treatment. Specifically, the funds came from, quote, Obesity Canada's Fund for, quote, Obesity Collaboration and Unified Strategies Initiative. Novo Nordisk is a supporter of this fund, as well as a sponsor for their annual summit. Here are excerpts from the 1,293-word competing interest statement for the authors. I've only included, again, Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly, the two main companies trying to sell this class of drugs for weight loss. Sean Wharton reports receiving honoraria and travel expenses and has participated in academic advisory boards for Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. Sean Wharton is also the medical director of a medical clinic specializing in weight management and diabetes. David Lau reports receiving grants and research support from Novo Nordisk, speaker bureau fees from Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk, and consulting fees from Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Michael Vallis is a member of the advisory boards for Novo Nordisk. Michael Vallis has also received consulting fees from Novo Nordisk and speaking fees from Novo Nordisk. Arya Sharma reports receiving speakers bureau and consulting fees from Novo Nordisk. Laurent Bierto is a member of advisory boards for Novo Nordisk.
Denise Campbell-Sharer reports receiving research funding from Novo Nordisk. Denise Campbell-Sharer reports receiving research funding from Novo Nordisk. She also reports receiving an unrestricted education grant from, quote, Obesity Canada, funded by Novo Nordisk Global. Jennifer Brown reports receiving non-financial support from Novo Nordisk and personal fees. Yoni Friedhoff is the co-owner of the Bariatric Medical Institute and Constant Health, which provides a weight management service. Constant Health has received a grant from Novo Nordisk. Yoni Friedhoff also regularly speaks on topics related to, quote, obesity and receives honoraria and travel costs and expenses for same. Michael Gagner reports receiving consulting fees from Novo Nordisk. Marie-France Langlois reports receiving personal fees from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. David Macklin reports receiving personal fees from Novo Nordisk. Priya Manju reports receiving personal fees from Novo Nordisk. Marie-Philippe Moron reports receiving speaker honoraria from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly and research subvention from Novo Nordisk and consultation honoraria from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. Sue Peterson reports receiving personal fees from Novo Nordisk, Eli Lilly, and grants from Eli Lilly and non-financial support from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. Mega Podar reports receiving honoraria for continuing medical education from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly, education grants from Novo Nordisk, fees for mentorship from Novo Nordisk, fees for membership of advisory boards from Novo Nordisk. Paul Prier reports receiving fees for consulting and continuing medical education from Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Judy Shaw reports receiving personal fees from Novo Nordisk. Diana Sherafali reports receiving a grant from, quote, Obesity Canada to support the literature review process during the conduct of the study. Shahabina Walji reports receiving consulting or advisory board fees from Novo Nordisk and Speakers Bureau fees from Novo Nordisk. All of their recommendations around liraglutide are level 2A, which is evidence from at least one controlled study without randomization, and grade B, directly based on level 2 evidence or extrapolated recommendation from category 1 evidence. They suggest that these recommendations should use the terms may or can as opposed to should. The studies they cite offer, at most, only 56 weeks of follow-up. In the section, Information Supporting the Public Health Relevance, they claim that, quote, not only is the prevalence of, quote, obesity increasing, but the number of global deaths attributed to BMI has substantially increased from 1990 to 2017. The global burden of disease of, quote, obesity study also found that through the age standardized rate of high BMI-related disability-adjusted life years, increased by 12.7% for females and 26.8% for males. The actual global number of high BMI DALYs has doubled despite sex, end quote. The study they cite to support this, the global burden of disease attributable to high body mass index in 195 countries and territories, calculates these numbers based on the assumption that the health problems higher weight people have are due to their weight, even though people of all sizes experience them. They also fail to control for the health impacts of weight stigma, weight cycling, or healthcare inequalities, despite the research that shows that they are confounding variables. The assumption that higher weight people's health issues are caused by their weight, coupled with the failure to account for or even discuss confounding variables, suggests to me either a near-complete incompetence of the study authors around basic research methods or a desire for a specific Conclusion. The study is at least honest that they don't know if weight loss would change this, stating, quote, successful population-wide initiatives targeting high BMI may mitigate the burden of a wide range of diseases. Thus, this doesn't actually support the recommendation to the WHO, without proof that these medications would reduce disease or increase life years long term, there is no reason to consider them essential and no such evidence exists. Next, they claim that, quote, obesity also plays a role in healthcare-related costs. For patients and families, total healthcare costs for patients with, quote, obesity were higher than that of patients who were overweight, unquote. 
First of all, we're wading into the idea that higher weight people should be eradicated because they are too expensive, which is heading down a bad road when it comes to ethics. Further, the study they used to support this is based on 97 Dutch people who filled out a survey. The study included costs such as, quote, expenditures related to the respondent's weight, such as adapted clothing, gym subscription, diet books, parking permit, food, etc. End quote. First of all, then people also have gym subscriptions and parking permits. But moreover, telling fat people that they should buy diet books and pay for various weight loss foods and methods despite the near total failure rate, then blaming them for the cost of following those dubious recommendations, as well as the additional costs of living in a world where structural weight stigma creates a lack of accommodation and clothing, etc., and using that as a justification for more expensive, more dangerous interventions is a long way from being ethical science and is a particularly craven marketing tactic. I'm just going to stop there. But to say that I've seen elementary school science fair projects with more rigorous methodology, and I would be beyond embarrassed to cite this for any reason ever other than as example of the piss poor state of weight science. They finish up the section with, quote, given the global burden of, quote, obesity and the goal of reducing preventable disease-related deaths, it is evident that affordable and available pharmacotherapy for, quote, obesity is needed on a global level. Let's rephrase this to reflect the evidence they provided. Based on a study taken by 97 people, a study that failed to control for any confounding variables and made wild assumptions about causality based on simple correlation, and their own researchers' acknowledgement that changing body size may not change health outcomes, it is evident that affordable and available pharmacotherapy for, quote, obesity is needed on a global level, which is to say... What they provided here does not come close to justifying their request. In part three, we'll wrap this up with a look at the evidence they used to discuss harm, effectiveness, and cost effectiveness. Did you find this post helpful? You can subscribe for free to get future posts delivered direct to your inbox or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and podcast and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.